take a deep breath. I'm going to start. <laughs> We're not nervous. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Complete professionalism. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rifki Silver. And I'm Alex Fletcher. And this is Normal From Women. The podcast where we embrace the complexities, nuances, and joys of from womanhood. Normal From Women is sponsored by CB's Shook. Located conveniently in University Heights, CB's Shook offers a variety of beautiful and affordable head coverings and accessories, all the latest trends and styles of beanies, headbands, snoods, tickles, pre-tides, baseball hats, and more. They also carry Snoga Athletic Wear, which is perfect for exercise or poolside. Open by appointment only, call 718-734-8474 and follow CB's Shook on Instagram and Facebook. Welcome back. I am so excited about today's episode. I happen to be fascinated by the role of Robinson's and from life and how that role varies based on the personality, skill set, and location of each Robinson. So we wanted to sit down today with two very special Robinson's and have a conversation all about who they are and what they do. It's interesting because some Robinson's gravitate to the leadership, mentorship, and teaching roles. Some are more behind the scenes and some do all of the above. And I always wonder if you're sort of born a Rebbitson, if it's like a life goal, or if someone just quote unquote become Rebbitsons because they married a rabbi and never envisioned that role for themselves. I know. I, I totally wonder about the same things. So, you know, Rifki, we were talking about this idea and how it's just a perfect fit for our audience here at Normal for Women. And while there are so many directions that we can take here with this, we decided to pick two Rebbitsons. One who hails from a small shul and the other who comes from a large shul. Today, you'll be joining us in our conversation with Chani Haber. Hi, I'm Chani Haber. Chani is the Rebbitzin of the B'nai Yisrael Congregation in Norfolk, Virginia. Her shul was established in 1946. They joined in 2012, and it has approximately 90 families. And we'll be talking to Rebbitzin Yocheved Goldberg. Hi, I'm Yocheved Goldberg. Yochebed is the Rebbitzin of the Boca Raton Synagogue, which was established in 1983. Rabbi Goldberg moved from assistant rabbi to rabbi in 2015, and BRS now has over 900 families. We hope by the end of today's episode, you'll have found two amazing Rebbitzins to admire and learn from and appreciate the role the Rebbitzin has in inspiring, leading, and mentoring Jewish women in her community and beyond. But before we meet them and get into the heart of our episode today, I want to talk about something that I posted on Facebook. I asked my Facebook friends what traits women are looking for in a Robinson. And it was pretty cool. I got a ton of responses. So many. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a great discussion. You know, Rifki, I love that. So um, women were really eager to share. And here are a lot of the words that I was hearing of things that they wanted in a Robinson authenticity, humility, patience, relatability. They wanted Rebbitsons to be accepting and inspiring, growth-oriented, learned, down-to-earth, non-judgmental. Sounds like this like mythical creature. Warm, It's like it just keeps going. (laughs) (laughs) These are such good adjectives. So the English teacher in me just wants to keep going. I'll give you a few more. Accessible, smart, empathetic, a good listener, and human. 
So one person shared this and I'm going to read it to you. She said, as a former Robinson, I love seeing these answers. On Robinson groups, so many express the pressure to run programs for kids, to participate in show programs, to teach classes, to always have freshly baked cookies ready. And from these answers, it seems women just want a Robinson to be there for them and to accept them for who they are. This is powerful to see. I wish I had seen this 10 years earlier. It would have alleviated so much pressure. Wow. You know, Alex, something that I thought was so interesting about that discussion was that initially it seemed like mostly, you know, lay people who were just chiming in with what they were looking for from a Rebbitson. But what I did not anticipate were all the Rebbitsons who started chiming in and saying, hey, 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 you know, it's a, a little stressful to say all of these things that we're supposed to be and all of these ideals that we're supposed to embody. We're, you know, we're just people <laughs> just like you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are so many roles for other people, for themselves, for their families. It's a very, very unique position the more you think about it. So that's why we're doing this. We're talking about the Robinsons on our podcast. It's time to put the, put the spotlight on them. And, and I think that as we have this discussion, it is important to recognize that every Robinson is different. And each brings their various strengths to the table. Absolutely. And there are still some qualities that seem universal that women really do appreciate it because like it or not, they're still the Robinson. <laughs> so we, you know, we can't forget that Robinsons are human too, and they can't possibly meet everyone's needs all at once. But obviously there's some kind of balance here. And I am so curious to see how this plays out as we get to know Robinson Heber and Robinson Goldberg. So let's dive in. Without further ado, Robinson Chami Haber. Welcome to Normal from Women. Ribbits and Haber, what should we call you? Chami, please. Okay, fantastic. So, Chami, tell us a little bit about where you grew up. I grew up in Toronto. It was a smaller Toronto than today's Toronto, but definitely bigger than where I am now in Norfolk. So it was, you know, it was... My my father grew up in Toronto. My grandfather grew up in Toronto. So we were like very involved in a lot of different things. My father was in the Colel um, for many years. And when I was 11 years old, on my own, I decided I wanted to switch to davening at Jeb, which was an Orsameach branch, um, as opposed to davening in the Colel Minion where my family davened. Do you come from a rabbinic family? It's a hard question. Definitely, like, my parents were always involved in the community. My grandparents were always involved in the community, but not as a rav. My father became a congregational rabbi when I was 19. My parents moved to Muncie. And a year later, a year and a half later, I was engaged to a rabbinic family. Well, to my husband, who's from a rabbinic family. So, you know, since as an adult, I'm from a, a rabbinic family, but not as a child. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're like a rabbinic family BT, kind of. Perfect. <laughs> yes. And Chami, did that impact at all your shidduch? Were you looking to marry someone in a rabbinic, back, Not, the rabbinic no. background? Nope. Never even occurred to me. Um, what's interesting is that a lot of what I do now as a Rebson, which you guys totally made me think about over the last week or two, um, I always knew I would do that. I was always the person, and people always came to me for advice, even like in high school. I would go to the office and say, I missed two periods because somebody was going through a hard time and needed to talk. And they'd say, okay, you're excused, which I still don't understand. But <laughs> I like to think that they valued what I was doing with my classmates who needed to, who needed to, talk, to talk through issues. Um, so I always kind of knew I would be coaching, counseling, advising other women. 
but I never thought it would be as a Rebbitzin. So you told us a little bit about not intending to become a Rebbitzin, but you became a Rebbitzin anyways. So did it fall into your lap or did it, was it something that you planned to do when you were first married? Did your husband plan to go into the rabbinate or was this something that evolved over time? That's a really good question. Um, I think my husband always had in mind that he would be a rabbi. We, we didn't really plan it, but he always knew he was going to be. And I never knew I was going to be a reptant. <laughs> but I completely like now that it's the case, we're, we're in this together. We moved to Norfolk. This is crazy. We moved to Norfolk a year after we got married. We were, my husband was learning in Lakewood when we got married. We lived in Lakewood for a year. Neither of us really wanted to be in such a big community, which is laughable because it was 20 years ago. Lakewood was not like a fraction of what it is now, but we still felt like it was bigger than what we wanted and bigger than how we wanted to raise our kids. And uh, after being there for about nine months, we started looking for an out-of-town community to move to. At the time, Norfolk was experiencing an incredible boom of Kirov. The Rub and Rebbitzin who were here at the time, along with some other people, were doing a phenomenal amount of outreach. And there were a lot of people who were sort of on their Balshuva journey in different places. And they needed so much learning and there wasn't, you couldn't do learning online. And they just, they, they all needed a lot of attention and a lot of nurturing and a lot of Torah learning and instruction. And the Rubs decided to bring in a community co Wow. So they were hiring four couples. Um, they didn't want us because we were from Lakewood. So we were too far to the right. <laughs> but thankfully we ended up here. And um, we were here for 11 years before my husband became the rabbi. So in that time, he was with the Kolo, and then he was a Rebbe, and then he became the rabbi. So it was very unusual because usually you move to a community as the rabbi in Rebbitzin. And here, these were our friends, and we knew them for 11 years already, and we had been involved, for, with some of them, we had been involved in their lives you know, to, to varying degrees, and then all of a sudden we were okay, now you're the rabbi in Rebbitzin. So it was, it was an unusual way to do it, but we really, like, I think it was great. And for me personally, as far as transitioning into the Rebbitzin role, it was perfect because I knew all the people. So I didn't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm a Rebbitzin now. Like, whoa, <laughs> they were my friends and they still are my friends. So it's, it's, it's a little different from your traditional, like we're hiring you to be the rabbi, move to town and, you know, present yourself that way. It's interesting. Um, you know, I've been discussing in advance before before this episode with a lot of people on social media, like what they're looking for at a Rebbitzin. And your story really resonates because what so many people are looking for is is, is someone who who's almost like a friend, um, who they can, who's a really good listener, who is empathetic, who can connect, who can look out for people and give them emotional support. Um, and I think that really place your advantage. It's just a fascinating story how you were friends with these people before. And then that role of like, you know, top down, that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It wasn't that at all. Right. Right. And for me, especially it wasn't that. Um, but I think, I think it really did make a difference in a lot of my relationships. What's funny is that I think I'm friends with a lot of people and I forget that they see me as a Remington because mm. I don't see myself as a Remington. I had a conversation with someone a little while ago. She called me one night. She's like, you know, we're having trouble with my one of my children. And it, a lot of discussion. And I finally said to her, you know, maybe you and your husband need to find like a parenting mentor that you can discuss these things with. And she's 
said, what do you think I'm doing right now? <laughs> and I was like, wait, I thought we're friends and you're like telling wow. me your son's struggles at school. Like, what do you mean you're calling me as your mentor? <laughs> and it really was a shift. That story was really a shift for me to realize that even my friends see me sort of as a Robinson. And it was hard to hear because like, I really just want to be friends. But it also gave me like, pause. I have to give more thought to what I say because people do see me as a Robinson. Speaking of which, do you have, do you have any other jobs besides Robinson, like paid jobs? So I am a preschool teacher. I love teaching preschool. I love just being the first person to teach them about creation and about, you know, today we were talking about, and Hashem gave the Jewish people the Torah and it's, and their eyes are wide and they're so excited. I'm like, you know what, next year, your teacher's not going to get to see your eyes go like, whoa. (laughs) So I love teaching four year olds. I love the conversations I can have with them. And I love bringing complicated topics down to their level which is really what I do when I'm doing Curve and it's what I do when I'm helping people with their marriage. And it's what I do, you know, like just bringing complicated topics down to like distilling it down to really the basics. So that's my paid job. I took a couple of years off and I went back this year and I love it. Um, I also teach high school two periods a week. I teach, it's called Panini. It's an, an international curriculum about SNES, which is like a bad word. So we don't like to say that it's about SNES, but it's really about the depth of like what SNES really is. So we spend very little time. We do cover the halachos, but very little time on that. And we talk about Bechira and we talk about self-confidence and we talk about struggle and we talk, there's so much to really getting to know yourself internally, which is how we define SNES is identifying as a, as an neshama, as opposed to being internally focused. So if someone asks me, what does CS mean? It means being internally focused. It doesn't mean covering your knees. That's a little piece of it. So that's really the whole curriculum in a nutshell right there. Um, so I teach that two periods a week in the high school here. Um, and I'm a dating coach. I'm a college teacher. I run the mikvah, but that's not really paid either. Um, mm-hmm. That's part of being the Robinson. So yeah, I do all kinds of things. Okay. So I'm hearing from you, if I could sort of pinpoint your Robinson style, you are authentic. You're down to earth. You're relatable. You're warm. You're sincere. A good Rifky. listener. Good, good listener. Good. What else would you add? A natural empathizer. Yes. A, a good communicator when you're able to distill complicated topics down to be able to be heard by whoever is listening. That's a, that's a great skill. And you're a teacher. So actually those skills help. What would you say, Hami, you know, a lot of people are looking for a lot of things at Rabbitsons and sometimes, you know, women in the community are disappointed whether their Rabbitson never wanted to be a Rabbitson and doesn't have the skill set or has a certain style and it's just not driving with a person. Like, you know, how, how would you advise people, um, other women in the community who are looking for guidance to, you know, embrace their Robinson for whatever she is and whatever gifts she brings to the table with whatever skill set she has? First of all, you're never going to make everybody happy. As a Robinson, um, I think we almost have a little more leeway than our husbands do because the rabbi has to make everybody happy all the time or he has to try his very best. So if this person needs this and this person needs that and this person needs the other thing, he's got to give all of it. Whereas as a Rebbiton, because we're not hired in most cases, we can, you know, if I like to be the person that people call when they're struggling, I can put more energy into that than running a program. Mm 
And there might be a different Robinson who loves to run programs, but, you know, isn't that warm, fuzzy, you know, call me and cry on my shoulder kind of person. And there might be another Robinson who actually, my friends in Toronto started a show and I asked them like, what were you looking for? And they said like, we just wanted a Robinson who was going to like drop Bobka off on Friday afternoon. And I went, oh my gosh, I don't even make Bobka. Like, not my thing, right? <laughs> right? So everybody wants something different. Um, so I think coming, that's coming from the Robinson perspective. We do have that ability to kind of decide I can do what I want to do. There's so many different roles a Robinson can play and I can choose which ones work for me because I'm not hired and I'm not paid and nobody gets to tell me what to do. So that's the advantage of being a volunteer, I guess. Um, but coming from the normal full woman side, right? Just for the, for everybody, the person you want to be a Robinson, find a different Robinson. One of my Robinsons is married to a lawyer. It doesn't matter. She calls herself a lawyer. But I always tell her she should call herself a Robinson because she's my Robinson and it doesn't matter. We need mentors. So maybe don't call it a Robinson, call it a mentor. Somebody you can talk to when you're struggling, somebody you can reach out to for support, which clearly is what I want in a Robinson. So it's the Robinson I am. But if you need somebody to drop off Bob at your house Friday afternoon, cultivate that relationship with somebody else. If you need, you know, if you need Torah classes and your Robinson doesn't give classes, find somebody you can learn from who you can you know, you got to find what you want. I know some, a few people have said to me, oh my gosh, Kami, I want to be you when I grow up. And that's really nice. It's such a great compliment. But for some people, they don't want their Rebbitzim to be, you know, someone they can aspire to be like. They need their Rebbitzim to be somebody who's just like them. And other people want someone who's so far out of their league. Like I would never, I'm never going to be Rebbitzim Konevsky. I don't need my Rebbitzim that I relate to on a regular basis to be Rebbitzim Konevsky. Some people do. They really feel like their Robinson has to be super, super, super spiritual. So find your Robinson, and it doesn't have to be the wife of the rabbi of your shul. Oh, I love that. Wow. I think that is such an important message. Absolutely. So, Chami, so I'm loving everything about this conversation. I want to just ask, like, specifically, what is something that you love about your role, and what's something that you find particularly challenging? So... Really what we've been talking about, obviously I'm talking about the stuff I love because that's what I do. Um, somebody once used the term with me, what sets my neshama on fire? And I love that line. She was actually using it sort of complaining about something I wasn't doing. And I'll tell you what it was. I, I teach, every I, in the summer I teach a, a class every Shabbos. And somebody said to me, well, like, there's no text-based classes for women. And that's what sets my neshama on fire. And my response was, so teach a text-based class for women. Like, we need someone whose neshama will be on fire as they're teaching that class, as opposed to me, who will be, like, struggling through the text. So you don't want to hear me give a class on Gohelas, really. <laughs> so, but that term just stuck with me. And I love, and I ask girls this when I'm doing dating coaching. I'm like, what sets your neshama on fire, and have you shared that with it? Right? When we talk about being vulnerable, like, and it's such an important question to ask ourselves. What sets your neshama on fire? What sets my neshama on fire is schmoozing. <laughs> I'm kidding. With a little depth, right? But is, is talking to people about who they are, about real things. You know, having those deep, meaningful conversations and real things and helping people connect to Hashem and helping people deal with their challenges. So that's my favorite part of being a rep. That, that people can call me when they're really going through a hard time. And then six months, a year, two years later, we look back and I'm like, I don't even remember if like, they remember that crisis anymore. 
do, do they even realize that they were in such a bad place? I'm like, and they're not anymore. And that's my favorite thing. Like it's the most rewarding part of being a representative, just being able to help people um, with their struggles. And, and I don't mean practically as much as just like emotionally, like I'm struggling with the other guy. I'm struggling with my husband. I'm struggling with my kids, whatever. Um, that's the best part for me. Challenges, really kind of what you were saying before that everybody has a different expectation. And I know there are people who are disappointed with things I don't do. I'm sure they're out there. Some of them have made it very clear. You know, some people tell me what they think I should be doing differently. And some people don't. And just not having enough time. Like I, I can't, I wish I could call everybody who I know is struggling or even, you know, in bigger dreams, every person who goes to show to my show and like call them and check on them. You know, I wish if I helped somebody with something two months ago, I could call them and check in on them and see how they're doing rather than just send them a text and say, Hey, how's it going? You know, like, and, and I do try to send those texts because then they can call me if they want to talk. Like I open that up, but I really don't have the time to talk to people so much. You know, I was, I was telling my husband, like there are some of the members of our show who since COVID I've been trying to call, um, however often, you know, I could spend the whole day every day checking in on show members, but I don't. But, um, when I do have some time, sometimes I, you know, I have to prioritize who am I going to call? And sometimes I'll call the people. I spoke to a 90 year old woman on Friday and it took two and a half minutes I'm more likely to call her than the other 90 year old woman in my community who needs 45 minutes at a time. And it's terrible because I don't know, maybe the person who's like an extrovert and likes to schmooze needs the phone call more, but I don't have the 45 minutes. You know, it's so, it's, it's just, it's so hard. So that's really the biggest challenge is like not being able to be even the things I love doing, not being able to do them as much as I love doing them. Wow. It's just so beautiful to hear that you just want to give more and more. And that's your limitation. That's your challenge. Being a Rebbitzin is defined by being married to a rabbi. So how does being married to a rabbi who is leading a shul, how do you find yourself in a leadership position vis-a-vis your husband's job? My husband and I really work as partners. So when someone, you know, someone calls him from the hospital and they're in crisis, he calls me most of the time. Um, you know, if there's somebody struggling with something and he thinks that they could use a little bit more Rebbitzin than rabbi, he'll tell them, you know, you, you, you might want to talk to my wife about this. Um, so in that sense, we sort of lead the community, the congregation together as much as possible. I try to go to the funerals my husband's doing, um, to support him, but more to support the women who are there. My husband can't give hugs to the women who just lost their mother and I can't. So I try to be there. Um, pre-COVID, obviously. Um, it, you know, I think I think the community does see us as a team. I hope they see us as, as a team. We see ourselves as a team leading together. There are some Robinsons who feel like, you know, this that's my husband's job and I'm a an accountant, right? Like, I don't have to be part of that. I'm not. For us, it's really a joint passion, like as much as my husband always knew he was going to be a rabbi and I didn't always know I was going to be a rabbi, we really do it together. And we really both believe in it and we really work well together. Oh, Chami, this was such a pleasure to have you join us on Normal for Women. And you are definitely status of Normal for Rebbitzin. I give you our first badge of honor. This was just so insightful. And I'm sure you're going to be getting a lot of calls from a lot of strangers on social media. <laughs> 
because you saw, you fit the bill for me at least. And that's probably why we're friends. About a week after we spoke with Khani, we sat down and spoke or Zoomed, whatever, <laughs> with Rebitz and Goldberg. Welcome to Normal from Woman, Rebitz and Goldberg. I'm getting vibes that you are a quote unquote normal from Rebitzen. Are you okay with us calling you by your first name? Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. So, Khaled, where did you grow up? I'm from Lawrence, New York, five towns before it was like it is the five towns now, very different when I grew up. Do you come from a rabbinic family? No, not at all. <laughs> nope. I'm self-made. <laughs> so what kind of family what did you come from? Like, what did your, your, what did your parents do? My father's a doctor. My mother is always uh, was home with us. And, um, you know, very normal, uh, typical from family. I went to all girls schools and camps and uh, just... Um, had a very easy, nice childhood. I, something that did um, influence me a lot was the fact that my grandparents were Holocaust survivors and we were very close with them. So that had a very big influence on me um, growing up. But otherwise, um, you know, typical from girl upbringing. How did you become a Rebetzin? So in high school, I actually got involved um, with Kirov. I was doing JEP and NCSY. And I really loved working with people and trying to make them more excited about their Judaism. Um, I also loved working with different populations, Hask and Yachad and, um, you know, visiting nursing homes. I just loved all people. And I really put myself out there and enjoyed that very much that when it came to the point that I was starting to date, I very much had in mind that I wanted to marry someone who was going to be working for the club. So it was someone who was going to be going to play Kodesh. That was like my requirement. I mean, people who were setting me up knew that I wanted to marry some form of a rabbi. Um, and I also loved Eretz Israel. So the other option was someone who's working in Israel, because I knew that it's hard to be a rabbi in Israel. But those were really my criteria. I very, very much wanted to be a Rebetzin, to be a partner to my husband working in, in the community. That was important to me. Wow, I love that because there's there are Rebetzins where it sort of just like fell into their lap, where they weren't looking for that. And I think that's fascinating. That was actually a criteria for you when you were dating. Yeah, it's something that I very much wanted to the point that my husband was going into Chinuch, which fell under the category of, you know, community work and uh, some kind of being a rabbi. But he was going to be a Rebbe and he wanted to be a high school Rebbe. And when we moved to Boca and he was in the community kolal, he was teaching in the high school, but he was also doing a lot of adult ed um, work and getting involved in different aspects of the community. And I said to him, you know, why would you only narrow yourself to high school kids, high school age, high school boys, why don't you do something that's a little more well-rounded and different populations, different types of work. And, and, uh, and together we made that decision that he decided then to kind of intern for the rabbi here in BRS. And then he became the assistant rabbi and the rest is history. <laughs> so I'm thinking about, you know, when you were a high schooler, um, I have some similar experiences to you. I didn't do the Hask route, but I was very involved in NCSY and I went on the Chal at NCSY. And um, I'm wondering if you found that gave you the opportunity to, to develop your leadership skills and did that impact your desire to want to give to the Chal? Very much so. First of all, just being involved in the breadth of Judaism, of all different populations and, and personalities. And it does 
make you feel like I want to give, I want to do, I want to be there and, and help and contribute. So very much in those environments, it very much nurtures your leadership skills, your wanting to do and be involved. Um, so they, for sure, those organizations encourage that and instill that in me. And, um, you know, I, I do feel, I think that while the Rebbitson position gives you the opportunity in a more black and white clear way where you have that position so you're able to automatically have some form of a leadership if you choose to have it that comes along with it. Um, but I do like to think that he had my husband not been a rabbi and he was a doctor or a lawyer or a businessman, or whatever he was. I, I, I think that even just working in those places and being involved in those organizations when I was in high school and post, I, I think I would still have been involved in extent, you know, to an extent in my community. I think everyone can. Everyone could be involved and everyone has that in them to be able to contribute and do what they can to help the community and, and to be a leader. So I don't think it necessarily has to be the title, but I think that it's important to find those skills in you and find a way to shine and, and take on leadership roles. Yochavad, what would you describe as your Rebbitzin style? I would say, I think maybe I'm being repetitive about the normal from, but I'm very normal. <laughs> so I do, I guess, fit the, uh, the title. I'm very normal. I, I think I am. I think people normally see me as normal. I, I'm relatable. You know, like we have a very, very diverse community here. There are all different types here. And I, I like the fact that I really could relate to all different spans, all different um, types of people from those who are not yet religious, those who are, you know, extremely, uh, you know, on, on the religious spectrum, very, very from, and, you know, I, I, and everything in between, you know, my husband and I try and we feel, and we pride ourselves on being relatable people. Um, and uh, also I, I try to be very accessible. You know, I, I, everyone has my cell number, my email address, I, my phone number, please call me, text me. I, I really do want to be there for them. I, I try very hard. Um, you know, and uh, and we're just trying to be positive people. You know, I, I know that we just are always going to be put up on somewhat of a pedestal as role models. But the truth is that we're just working on ourselves also. And we have our own children to raise and we have our own home to to uh, to build and to nurture. And we do the best we can in our own lives. And if that serves as a role model to others, great. But, you know, we really just are normal. I'm a normal person, you know, who happens to be married to the rabbi. And I take that position very um, seriously. And I am proud of it. And I try to do what I can. But, um, you know, approach me, call me anytime. I'm available and I want to be there for people. Tell us about what you love about your role and what you find the most challenging. So that's a great question. I think about that a lot. And I think the, the things that I love most about being a Rebbitzin um, is for sure the fact that I could be there for people in such a unique way at the highest of their happiness, like at their simchas. I'm, you know, they want to dance with the Rebetzin and they want to be Sameach with the Rebetzin. That's something that I value very much. And then, you know, during a crisis or when they're going through a really difficult time, there's also that like fast pass to kind of get in there and be there with them at the height of their crisis. And, you know, they very much value the Rebbitsons involvement and connection to what they're going through. So, um, so that's something that I very much value. And I, I never fully understood its value until my daughter wrote a paper when she was like in 11th or 12th grade about being a rabbi's daughter. And she used the story of a friend of hers whose sister was very tragically killed in a car accident a few years ago. It was a terrible, terrible thing that happened here. And she ended up like going with my husband and me to the funeral and to the shiva. And she was sitting there with them, with the family. And like the whole community was kind of like wanting to rally around this family and be there for them. But because she was part of the rabbi's family, she had that like first row upfront ability to just be there for them and, and go through it with them. And, and 
and at that age in high school, she already really valued that. And I saw it through her eyes and I realized that's something that's very unique for the rabbi family where someone's going through something and we're their first stop, you know, come over, help someone, you know, just passed away. I'll, I'll often run over there with my husband and, and be there. And, you know, it's something that's very special that I, I very much love that opportunity to be there when people are celebrating in such an important way. And then to also be there when they're going through a difficult time. And I, the challenges I think are probably unique to our community, which is extremely large. Like I said, um, we have about 900 families at this point. So it's really, really a big community. And something that I find very difficult is not being able to talk to everyone or be there with everyone on a regular basis. You know, it's impossible. Uh, you know, we're I'm one person. So what happens is that the people who are going through something or need something will be in touch. Um, but then the people who are like just living life, maybe not in my social circles, you know, on a regular basis, kids in the same class or carpool or whatever, um, I, I don't, I don't get to speak to so much. So, you know, what I always really try to encourage, I try to write about one article every year, um, to the community. It usually goes in my husband's weekly column. I'll take it over from the Rebison's desk and I'll often say this to them, to my community. So they understand I, I'm there for you. I want to be there for you. I want to be close to all of you, but it's, impossible. So please reach out to me. Mm -hmm. Do you teach also? So I, I teach um, college classes. I teach a refresher class. Um, it's funny, when we first moved to Boca 22 years ago, I was called by like every school about teaching because <laughs> everyone assumes that the Rebbitson is a teacher. Or if you're married to a rabbi, then you must be a Judaic studies teacher. And I think they were disappointed to find out I'm not a teacher, I'm a social worker. So I did <laughs> social work for many years, uh, geriatric social social work, which is great. Um, I'm not working presently, but I do, I teach informally, you know, and I, I every once in a while, I'll, I'll give a, a class or a Dvar Torah or something here and there, but it's not like a steady stream of, of classes. When okay. you were mentioning how, um, you know, you want to be available to everyone and you encourage people to reach out and you love being connected to one of your favorite parts of, of being a Rebbitson. So what about setting the boundaries? How do you know when you need to pull, how do you know when to take time for yourself? Do you know what, does that make sense? How do you know? Do you have like hours? Do you have like, not like hours posted on the door, but hours maybe that you keep mentally, you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally understand that question. Um, I don't do, I mean, it's really, I think most women don't usually call during like homework dinner time, you know, so um, usually it's able to not, not be an issue or if I can't answer, I don't answer and I'll call them back when it's a good time. Um, but you know, it was very hard for many years when I had little kids at home and I'd have to go to this wedding and go to that dinner and uh, go to that shul program. And, and it wasn't that I had to, I, I actually wanted to, and I enjoyed going to things. You know, I remember I used to go to all my husband's classes when he was like in the Kolel. I, I loved it, you know, and it was a way of meeting people. And, uh, and I enjoyed listening to them speak. And so I, it's not that it's an obligation, but, um, but that used to take us away from home a lot. So it's ironic that now my kids are getting older because of Corona. There's so fewer things to go to, um, but, uh, but we still have an eight year old at home. So he needs me. He needs me around. Um, I can't, I'm not as available as my husband is obviously because I, I have to, you know, I have to be with the kids and I can't uh, do as much as he does. He doesn't have any hours. I mean, he's always busy and working. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, I, I mean, I, I could take time to myself. Like I said, I'm not working as a social worker now, you know, so I have time during my day if I need to take care of things. And, but I don't know, life is busy. So between, you know, trying to be a, a good Rebbitson as much as I could do, taking care of the kids, the house, it's, you know, not much extra me time, but I try. <laughs> How do you and your husband support each other in the work that you both do? As far as me vis-a-vis -vis him, there's a lot of uh, patience, a lot of understanding. Like I said, this is not a 20, this is not a, 
you know, a, a job that has like a five to nine kind of, I'm sorry, a nine to five kind of uh, schedule. It's really just 24 seven, literally seven, because Shabbos, he works just as hard as weekdays. And I just, you know, he's not always going to be home for dinner or be able to, you know, do that carpool. It's, it's something that we've kind of through the years, I know that it's just a very crazy schedule and erratic schedule. And I just have to be patient and understanding about it. Sometimes it's harder than others, but I'm working on it. And, um, and as far as him towards me, I think that he, he's tried even harder throughout the years that, you know, very often the rabbi is the address, you know, the rabbi is the one who's employed by the shul. He's the one who's more high profile and, and he's the one who's directly involved in things. So, so three years we've, we've spoken about him saying to someone, you know, is it okay if I tell my wife about this and she could maybe call your wife or be helpful to her or, you know, like we've kind of had to, uh, and that's one way that he could support mean what I'm trying to do as a Rebbitson, which he does, is he'll often, he'll often do that. Or he'll often say, you know, maybe you could speak to my wife about that. I think she could be very helpful to you. And, you know, because like I said, he is that first address. So, you know, for him to then kind of refer <laughs> to, to me who could, first of all, be helpful, you know, sometimes a woman's perspective is good. Um, but also it's, uh, it could be, it could be something that um, offsets some of his work when, you know, something that I could easily do or be involved with. Then, you know, like I said to me, I went to visit this person today. Okay, fine. So maybe I'll just, I'll go next week, you know? So it, it helps offset some of his, his job to me to be able to jump in sometimes and, and do those kind of things. So, you know, and of course, like, you know, being that Azer Connecto, you know, just, just helping him in his position, you know, whether that's hosting, you know, the new people for meals and, and, uh, you know, whatever it is to be able to make his job easier, be able to do things that are helpful to him and to meet new people. If I could host and that way, he's able to meet those people, whatever it is, we try to really be a partnership in everything, which is, which is really, which is great. Thank God. Wow. So really is a true partnership. That's, that's fascinating. And it's wonderful that you're able to support each other. And I love the concept of referring. Um, so just get more bang for your buck, this power couple. <laughs> what would you tell women as they're trying to find a Rebbitzin or develop a relationship with one, because that really is something that comes up a lot. Um, sometimes women don't feel like they have a relationship with the Rebbitzin of the shul and the community that's quote unquote been assigned to them. Um, what can they do? What, what message can you give to those women? I really think that the best advice to give them is to make the effort. Meaning that I know that I can't reach out to every single person in the community, even though I'd love to have a relationship with everyone. I do the best I can, but I just, but those people who reach out to me, hi, Rebison, would it be okay to meet for coffee one day? Or, you know, could I call you? I'd like to speak to you about something. Those people have my ear. I'm saying I will give them, I mean, I, I, I just did this recently. Someone reached out to me and said, you know, I really haven't spent time with you in a while. Could we meet for coffee? I sat there for two and a half hours with her outside of Starbucks. We had the nicest time. Just caught up. It was no real issue or crisis. She just wanted to spend time. And it was lovely. I, you know, I, I really do feel for those people who, who value the position of the Rebbitson and want to have that relationship. Make that effort. Show that interest. You know, make that call. Reach out. I hate when people say to me, and I'm using the word hate, even though it's not a good word. I, I hate when people say to me, I didn't want to bother you. You're so busy. That's like it, it grates on me. I'm like, I'm just as busy as anyone else. Don't don't say you didn't call me when you were dealing with a difficult thing or you needed advice about something or whatever it is. It could be the stupidest thing. But don't say you felt bad bothering me. You're so busy. I'm I'm just as busy or not busy as, as anyone else. And I I that's why I'm here. I want to be able to be there and talk to you and spend time. So for those people who make the effort, I'm there. They know they could reach me. They know they could talk to me. They know that I'm able to, you know, give them my attention. That's something that 
if anyone ever feels, and this could be for anyone, you know, in a leadership position, you know, the people who end up getting access to them are the ones who make the effort and actually try to reach out to them. So, you know, you can't expect the Rebbitsons to come to you or anyone in that kind of a position. You have to make, I and mean, even a smaller community, there's a way of being able to, to approach them. It's different, you know, but in a large community, I can't be the one always to reach out. But if someone wants to have that relationship, I very much would love it. And I really hope that people would feel comfortable coming to me and approaching me and reaching out. So, so my advice is definitely make the effort, make that call, take the first step. Don't hesitate. They're just as busy as you are and they want to hear from you and, and have a relationship with you. And I think that a Rebbitson um, mentor is a very good person to have in your life. No, I just wanted to thank you so much for sharing that perspective and sharing so much about your life and just the love that you have for your role and your position. Hashem clearly put you here on this journey and you're giving to not only the 900 members of your shul, but I know you guys have a global campaign right now and both you and your husband are doing so much for Claudia Strong in general. Get online and find a podcast by the Goldbergs and, you know... <laughs> You're reaching so many more people. So um, I just want to really thank you for being part of our podcast and sharing all of your wonderful, wonderful thoughts with us today and our listeners. Here's the takeaway for today's episode. Think about the traits you most admire in Rebbitsons. What do you most value in a mentor? Do you appreciate a Rebbitson who gives shirim? Do you look for a Rebbitson who is personally involved in your life? Now, think about a Rebison you have access to in your community. Do you have a relationship with her or would you like to build one? What can you do to make that relationship stronger? This episode, we've asked a Rebison for our five questions with a normal from woman segment. So she's actually a normal from Rebison. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Today, we'll be hearing from Gitty Fredman from St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Can you fall asleep with dishes in your sink? For sure. Absolutely. I start unraveling at the end of the day and I just know I'll be so much better in the morning. You know, some people say like, oh, I'm a night person. I'm a morning person. I think I used to be a night person. I never was a morning person. Now I'm a neither person. But I know I will be rejuvenated after I get some sleep. What's your favorite mitzvah and why? I love Shabbos. And I love Hachnasas Orchem. So I would say having Shabbos guests is my favorite mitzvah. When I read the Henny Maslis book, it really changed the way I prepared for Shabbos. And I have to say that preparing for Shabbos and having people over is like magical for me. What do you do to recharge? I love working out. I must, I'm a much better wife, mother, and friend, and much less anxious when I work out. I'm really struggling with COVID because my favorite gym closed. So it's something I really need to make sure to get back into. What part of your personality do you love? I love that I can um, be spontaneous, roll with the punches. I'd like to think that I'm pretty positive and that I can see the good in people. What do you think the from world needs more of? Less shame, less hiding. Cause, so my kids are struggling and 
I decided like, this is straight from Hashem. I'm not going to feel any guilt. And this is just an Isayon from Hashem. And Brene Brown talks so much about shame. And I thought like, why can't I apply these things to what I'm going through? This is tailor-made for me from Hashem. Hashem sent these, these mental health challenges my way. And we spend so much energy hiding things in our from society and certain things are taboo and so much energy gets expounded into that. And that becomes something that is shameful. Feeling like you have to hide something makes you feel shame around it. And there's really no reason for me or anybody else to feel any shame around a challenge that Hashem sent. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you liked the episode. We really, really enjoyed putting it together for you. Alex and I would really appreciate it if you would take the time to rate and review our podcast. All the links and references we made in the podcast can be found in the episode notes. If you have any suggestions, feedback, or just want to say hi, you can email us at normalfromwomen at gmail.com. And we can be found on Instagram and Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And please tell everyone about our podcast. See you next episode.